Church, I want to thank you for the opportunity that we all got to experience last weekend. Weekend meaning starting Sunday and actually going into Monday, which was 36 hours of prayer. Some of you prayed at home. Some of you signed up to pray. Some of you came here to pray. Some of you didn't sign up, but you still prayed. And I want to thank you for that. The whole purpose of this was, can we fill all slots? No. The whole purpose was, let's get our church praying together. Let's get our church praying for one another, for our nation. Um, As decisions get made along the way, we can't make them without God's uh, wisdom and direction. So thank you for praying. I ask you to continue. Uh, you don't have to wait for the next prayer event. You can continue to pray. Just grab those sheets that we had last week if you weren't here. I believe there's a few out on the visitor's table, and you can grab one of those. And then you can always, if they run out there, we can always send you some. But continue to pray. There's a lot to be prayed for. Steve's having surgery tomorrow uh, at Toledo Hospital. And um, I saw, I don't Rick could always use some prayer. I know David's uh, sitting out. He had shoulder surgery, and he needs to get a place where he gets his arms propped up. I know he's sitting out there, and I'm not going to start missing everybody one by one. A lot of you are like, just put your hands up. We all need prayer, right? Okay? Um, be praying for one another as a church. Grab your Bibles, would you please? You know where to turn, right? Where are we turning to? John, absolutely. Hey, next week is uh, Father's Day, I believe. I'm going to take a slight diversion from John next week. I'm just going to do something for the, for the men out there. A lot of these men out there, they're tough guys. They like action and crazy stuff. So we have a couple crazy stories in the Bible that I want to look at, somewhat related to John. Um, but so, men, I encourage you to come back. Uh, some insane stories from a sane God is what you're going to hear next week. But, but right now we're in the book of John. We're still in chapter 5. I don't know if you've ever gotten to the passenger seat of another person's vehicle and you're looking out their windshield and you can't see a thing. You ever been there? And and you're like, come on, dude, clean your windshield. You don't say anything at first because you're thinking, oh, they see it. And then they start driving and you're thinking, this is this is insane. You should be cleaning your windshield. So you 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 try to be nice to him like, hey, uh, you want me to help you with your windshield? You know, can I do anything? And. And some of you are like, well, maybe it's not that bad. For some of us, it's this, right? It's the snow. Maybe not so much dirt, but in the wintertime. And I know some of you out there do this. You just get a hole big enough for you to see, and that's, that's good enough, right? Some of you are that way. I know who you are. It's apparent you need to pull over and clean off the whole windshield so you can see where you're going because you can't have your view obstructed. If your view is obstructed, you might run into something. You might put yourself in danger. You need a clear vision in front of you. Last week in John chapter 5, we were talking about how one of the things that the Lord's Day does for us, it gives us a day of spiritual cleansing. The Lord's Day allows us to get things right with God and, and uh, sort of clear up our vision and our blurred vision and spiritually and sort of clean up our dirty lives. And uh, in John 5, we see the religious leaders, how they looked really clean on the outside. They had a lot of laws there following. They looked good, but on the inside they were dirty. See, the, the, the dirt wasn't on the outside of the windshield, so to say. It was on the inside. It was all fogged up. And they couldn't see through the windshield of their life to see who Jesus was. Somebody could have come on the outside and tried to help them, but they needed from the inside needed to be cleaned. They had a little fog going on. So in, in these uh, verses here, what we're going to learn is that Jesus is going to show 
these religious leaders and those within earshot, who he is. In John chapter 5, verses 17 to 47, in these verses we learn the identity of Jesus Christ. He makes these incredible claims about himself. Now here's what's going to happen. Some of you are like, there's no walking on water, there's no feeding 5,000, there's no telling a guy who can't walk to walk, there's no water to wine, there's, there's no crazy miracles happening, there's nothing like, whoa, right? It's just Jesus saying, hey, let me tell you who I am. That's it. And for some of us, we're like, that wasn't very entertaining. Church isn't meant to be entertaining. Church is meant to have the opportunity for you to worship God through song, through prayer, through truth. And so Jesus is like, you need to hear truth. Because here's what happens. Entertainment doesn't change us. Entertainment excites us. Truth changes us and transforms us. And Jesus says, I got some truth for you, so please listen to what I'm going to say. And he goes, he gives out these five claims of who he is. And then he says, I'm going to back this up with evidence. And then he gives us the evidence. So in John chapter 5, verse 17, we start off with his first claim. Let's read. But Jesus replied, my father is always working and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, therefore making himself equal with God. Here's the first claim. Jesus says, I'm equal with God. That's his first claim. If you read on verse 19 and 20, it says this. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he's doing. In fact, the father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you'll truly be astonished. Here in the scripture, Jesus claims equality with God. Now, sometimes this is difficult for us to understand. It's like Jesus and God, aren't they separate but the same and they're different? But we believe in the Trinity, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. They're separate but inseparably linked. And for some of us, that might be hard to understand. So it's sort of like this. If you look up on the wall, you can see my shadow, right? My shadow is a part of me, but it's separate from me. We're sort of inseparably linked. That's sort of me. I can do so. I heard one pastor say, it's like Jesus came and he was the shadow of God on earth. You sort of see how God acted through Christ. Sometimes that might be a little, I said, difficult to understand, but here's the thing. Jesus and God were working together with the Holy Spirit. You can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when God said, let us make man in our image. All the way back. I love it. You always go back to Genesis and find where we're, let's get it right again, right? Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 16 says this. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Claim number one, Jesus is equal with God. Now we get to claim number two in verse 21. Claim number two is that Jesus can give life. Like God gives life. Look at verse 21. For just as the Father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the Son gives life to anyone he wants. 
You can skip down to verse 26 where it says, The Father has life in himself and he has granted that same life-giving power to his Son. Now, if you go back in the Old Testament, you're going to see that God says, I give life. Jesus, now in the New Testament, is saying, I give life like my Father gives life. The claims are of Jesus are basically what God did in the Old Testament. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32, verse 39, I'll put that up on the screen for you. It says this, Look now, I myself am he. There is no other God but me. I am the one who kills and gives life. I am the one who wounds and heals. No one can be rescued from my powerful hand. God can give and God can take life. We can't. We're limited, right? See, there's some things we can do for others. If somebody is sick or have financial needs or something breaks down, we can do something. But if somebody dies, there's not much we can do. You're sick? Hey, I'll bring you a meal. I'll I'll, I'll come over and I'll, I'll help you out. You need some help cleaning the house? Oh, financially, you got some issues going on? Hey, I can, I can give you some money. I can help you out there. Oh, car broke down? Hey, I know somebody can help you. Let's get it fixed. I'll help you fix it, right? Oh, your friend passed away? I can't do anything for that. But I can't be here with you. I can sympathize with you. See, we're, we're limited. What we, do. we can't give them life back. We can do all these other things. And Jesus says, I can give life. As God gives life, I can give and take the same as God can give and take. That's the next, that's the second claim of Jesus. The third claim, Jesus is judge like God. Look at verses 22 and 23. In addition, the father judges no one. Instead, he has given the son absolute authority to judge so that everyone will honor the son just as they honor the father. And anyone who does not honor the Son is certainly not honoring the Father who sent him. Verse 27. Skip down there. And he has given him authority to judge. As God has given him, Jesus, authority to judge everyone because he is the Son of Man. See, God's judgment will happen. And it's serious. Now, I'm going to blow through these claims really quick. There's obviously more we could expand on and talk about the judgment of God and what Jesus, what they both do together. But because of what we're trying to get through today, we're going to zip through these. But I do want to point out Acts chapter 17, verses 30 to 33. that says this, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. Verse 31, for he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. He's speaking of Jesus Christ. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt and others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them and some joined him and became believers. Paul saying that Jesus Christ is the one who's going to be judging. God raised him from the dead. He is going to be doing a lot of the judging here. And some people laughed at that. Just like today. Hey, you want to come to church and hear about God and his son, Jesus Christ, and how the Holy Spirit works? (laughs) No, why would I want to hear that? They're just like those people. And then there's others who have come here today saying, yeah, I want to hear more. Just like those people. Paul says, Romans 2.16, 
And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. See, it's not just God who judges, but Jesus will be involved in the judgment of mankind. It's a little scary, isn't it? I don't know if any of you have ever been in a court of law, but if you go into a court of law, maybe you've done jury duty before or somewhere like that, you know, and you walk into a court of law and there's a judge. And when the judge walks in, the honor walks in, we stand, he comes in, he sits, we sit, and we're quiet. We respect and give honor to the judge. Do you know why? Because he's the one that can put you in jail or not, Right? He's that one that can dish out to you what maybe you do or do not deserve. So we give honor to the judge. And Jesus is basically saying, that's me. And are you giving me honor? Are you giving me respect? Not so much. Claim number four. Jesus has the authority over everyone's eternal destiny. Look at verse 24 of John chapter 5. I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God... Who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins. They have already passed from death to life. Jesus says, if you're listening and if you're believing, I'm giving you eternal life. Eternal life, by the way, starts now, not when you die. Some people are like, well, when I go to heaven, that's when eternal life starts. Do you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord? Yes. Eternal life is now active in you. We will not be condemned or judged or put in judgment and sent to hell if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. We are able to go before the judge and show him honor and respect, right? And humbly bow before him and know that he's not going to sit there and say, guilty, boom. Thanks to his son, Jesus Christ, who paid the price, he looks at us now and says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And off into his presence. Eternal things begin with God at work, not man. Not man. Eternal life is, by the way, eternal. <laughs> Some people sometimes get stuck on that. Like, can I, can, I, can I lose my eternal life? Eternal is what? It's eternal, right? It's, it's permanent, right? It's not temporary. Do you ever get those um, washable markers out? And you know, you, if, if you, you're writing all over the place, you get it on your hand, you can wash it off, right? You ever got out, accidentally get a permanent marker out, and you're doing that, and you're like, oh no, and you like go to wash off, and you, and you wash off. Or maybe you had a dry erase board, and you didn't have one of those dry erase markers, and you have a permanent marker, and you go to write up on that dry erase board, and you wipe it off, and it won't wipe off. You know why? Because it's permanent. Eternal life is permanent. You've placed your faith in Christ. It's permanent. Some things are changeable. Some things are unchangeable. Eternal life is unchangeable. Claim number five. Jesus has the power to raise the dead. Look at verse 25 with me. And I assure you that the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. When the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. Skip down to verses 28 and 29, please. Don't be so surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son. And they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life. And those who have continued in evil will rise to experience 
judgment. Jesus is saying, listen, there's life after death. And and there's one of two categories, okay? Heaven and hell. You, you need to consider this. And he puts some reminders out there. First of all, death is not the end of existence. Some people think when I'm dead, I'm dead. That's it. Death is not the end of existence. Jesus expected to die. He told his disciples that he would die as a ransom for many. In the Old Testament, Job said he expected something after death. From the book of Job, chapter 19, verse 25, it says this. But as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. Remember singing that song, My Redeemer Lives? And he will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes and I will be overwhelmed by this thought. Job expected something after death. There are two forms of existence too beyond the grave. As we said, one's good, one's bad. One's heaven, one's hell. And we also know this, the kind of existence depends on the individual's choice. We are sinful. No no matter how we look at things, we we are just sinful. And God is holy. God can't condone or overlook our sin because he is holy. We are his creation. But we can't stand before a holy God in the sinful condition we are. God sent Jesus Christ to pay the price for our sins to make us, if you want to say, presentable before God. Because on our own, we can't. You can't bring an unholy thing before a holy God. So Jesus Christ makes us holy, makes us righteous. And we are the ones that get the choice to accept or reject God's gift. If I accept God's eternal gift, he makes me righteous. So I can stand before God. If I reject this gift of God, his son Jesus Christ, then I am unrighteous and I am unholy and I cannot be before a holy God. And therefore, I will be in hell. Jesus gives life. Remember at the very beginning when we said we're going to study the book of John, that John had some things in mind. He goes, this is why I'm writing this book. And one of them was to show us that Jesus is God. The other one was to show us what? That we may believe and have life in him. And in this scripture, John chapter 5, 17 to 47, we see both of those things brought out by John. Now, at this point in time, some of you say, okay, Rex, we've, we've heard these claims before. You've preached on these things before. Yes, now Jesus has them all in one teaching, right? Right together. So they sort of got mashed in all together here, right? But here's the thing. Even though we know this, we have friends out there that think that maybe this isn't true or maybe it's too hard to believe. They've got things going on in their life. Maybe you've asked certain questions. So I'm going to throw three things out there real quick. It might be sort of road bumps in trying to explain this or share this with somebody, because somebody might come along and say, well, how can a loving God condemn anyone? Have you ever heard that before? How does a loving God send people to hell? He doesn't seem to be very loving. Remember this, God's love is not inconsistent with his judgment. Love does not overlook disobedience. See, it's, it's our actions that condemn us. God doesn't condemn us. Our sins condemn us. And God looks at us with love and gives us grace 
getting what we don't deserve. And mercy, not getting what we do deserve. God doesn't condemn us. He condemns our sin, our actions, our choices. We're condemned already. We get to choose to accept heaven or hell. That's on us, not on God. Here's another thing. Some people say, well, God isn't fair. He's just not fair. I'm not going to have you raise your hands, okay? So please don't raise your hands. But if I were to say, who in this room wants God to be fair? I hope not one of you raises your hand. You know why? If God was fair, we'd all be in hell. Not one of us deserves heaven. Not one of us deserves to be in his presence. You want fairness? You do not want the fairness of God. We are unholy, as I said before, before a holy God. God saves us in his grace. So, if God is God, and makes all these decisions, right? I'm still frustrated with him, because God didn't... You guys can fill in the blank. He didn't answer my prayer. He didn't do this for me. He didn't do this to help me out. Can I put a little time out here for a second? Who is God? Is he your servant? Oh, did did he come here to serve you? We came here to serve him, right? Yeah. Do you think God came here so that we can serve him, right? Yeah. I'll point him out just once and every now and then. Sorry, Josh. Sorry, Heather. Oh, I know who you are. I was talking about your mom and dad. This could go on forever, so I better keep moving here, okay? So here's the thing. Let me go back to this again. Because I, I, we need to drive this home. Because if, if God came here to serve us, then we could make those kind of claims and complaints. If you came here, God, so I can like rub a magic lamp and get my wishes, that, that works. But here's the thing. He is God. We came here to serve him. We came here to serve him. So there are going to be those moments when God didn't. That does not mean he does not love you. It just means he didn't. Even Jesus recognized the position and the power of God. And even Jesus was obedient to God. Look in your Bibles, verse 30. It says this, I can do nothing on my own. I judge as he, as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. That was always, God, that was always the, the, the uh, attitude of Jesus Christ. Not my will, but yours be done. He's always obedient to his heavenly father. You obey God willingly, not robotic, not like a slave, very opposite of mankind. We are very, what, rebellious, sort of question God, tend to do our own thing. Jesus says, no, 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 not my will, but you'll be done. Let me put these five claims back up on, on the board again for you on the screen. Here's the five claims again. Jesus is equal with God. Jesus can give life like God. Jesus is judge like God. He has authority over everyone's eternal destiny, and he has the power to raise the dead. Now, let me ask this. Can anybody in this room say... I can make a claim in the same way. Not one. Not one of us in this room can even make one claim out of those five. Jesus makes all five claims. And here's what's better. He can back it up 
Look at verse 31. If I were to testify on my own behalf, my testimony would not be valid. Now, why does Jesus say that? Because in the Jewish law, you needed two or three people or testimonies to back up what you were saying. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 19, 15, it says this. You must not convict anyone of a crime on the testimony of only one witness. The facts of the case must be established by the testimony of two or three Jesus understood this. I mean, the religious leaders were like, this isn't true unless you got two or three people to back it up. And Jesus was like, you know what? My own testimony, you're probably not going to believe my claims. So I've got more than one testimony. Matter of fact, I got more than two and three. I've got four that will back me up on my claims. And so we, we read on in verses 33 and 35 of John 5 that says this, but someone else is also testifying about me. And I assure you that everything he says about me is true. In fact, you sent investigators to listen to John the Baptist and his testimony about me was true. Of course, I have no need of human witnesses, but I say these things so you might be saved. John was like a burning and shining lamp and you were excited for a while about his message. So John was popular and people went to him and the religious leaders went to him and said, hey, who are you to say all this? And John said, what? I'm just a messenger. I'm the one preparing the way. The one who is greater than me has come. Matter of fact, behold the Lamb of God. And he points to Jesus. John testified that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Jesus said he was just a burning lamp. Jesus said, that burning lamp is great, but someday we're not going to need a burning lamp because we're going to have a bright sun. So he did his job until I came along. Jesus continues, verse 36, but I have a greater witness than John. My teachings and my miracles, the Father gave me these works to accomplish. And they proved that they sent me. Jesus says, here's my second testimony, my teachings, my miracles, my works. Could you imagine right now he looks at those religious leaders and he could have very easily said, hey, who else can do this? Anybody in here? You know, you're looking at this man who couldn't walk for 38 years. Anybody else in here can heal him? Can anybody? Anybody? No? Oh, hey, anybody in here can turn water to wine just like that instantaneously? Anybody? Oh, no, nobody? Hey, can anybody in here heal somebody from 20 miles away just by speaking be healed? Anybody? Nobody? Really? It's because I am Jesus, the Son of God. I am God. Jesus couldn't make that claim because his works backed it up. His teachings backed it up. Matthew eleven four to 5 Jesus told them, Go back to John. Tell them what you've heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, and those with leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised alive, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Go ahead, go tell everybody. It's happening. Here's the third thing in verses 37 to 39, the, the third testimony. And the Father who sent me has testified about me himself. You have never heard his voice or seen him face to face. You do not have his message in your hearts because you do not believe me, the one he sent to you. You search the scriptures, but you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. Jesus says, here's my third testimony. Here's the third person to back up who I am. The third witness. He says, it's God the Father and his word. Now, the religious leaders were brilliant men, church. I mean, these men had most of the Old Testament memorized, the first five books for sure. They knew the Bible, the Old Testament, in and out. They were brilliant. But yet, they didn't read it deep enough to understand that the one that was prophesied about was standing right before them. They just didn't see it. 
Finally, Jesus comes to the fourth witness, and that's Moses, an Old Testament witness. Verse 45, 46, yet it isn't I who will accuse you before the Father. Moses will accuse you. Yes, Moses, in whom you put your hopes. If you really believe Moses, you'd believe me because he wrote about me. If you go back to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy and read through those five books, you will see how Moses brings out Jesus in each book. Whether it's Genesis 3.15, whether it's in Exodus with the Passover lamb, or Numbers with the bronze snake. Moses brought up Jesus often. You know, Jesus makes these claims to be who he is, and then he backs it up with these incredible testimonies. And these these witnesses that cannot be argued against. And you think, you think they would have listened to that, right? He backs it up, but here it gets better. Jesus says this, I'm offering you life. Now think about this. What does this life have to offer us? I mean, every day we're looking for something to make our life easier, to make life better. How, I'm not going to ask how many of you did this in the last couple of years. You bought something for your kitchen to make cooking easier. You did something to simplify the job in the kitchen somewhere. You bought, I don't know, a hot dog rotator thing. I don't know. what. You, somebody bought something, right? Maybe it wasn't your kitchen, it was somewhere else. But then a year later, where is it? In the garage sale or Goodwill or somewhere like that. Because if it was supposed to make your life easier, why didn't you keep using it? Our relationships with people are supposed to make my life better, but then sometimes we have broken relationships and they go off. We think people will make us better. We think things will make us better, but our problems still linger. Jesus says, I've come to give you life that will fulfill all these things that you're seeking. What Jesus offers is fulfilling, and he's what we need. So, Knowing all this, church, I'm going to ask you this question. C.S. Lewis uh, actually did a great job. I'm going to put his quote up here. I like what he had to say. Knowing that Jesus claims to be the Son of God, C.S. Lewis said, A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. And you can, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. C.S. Lewis was basically saying, hey, either he is a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. You choose. And after these claims of Jesus, we should all be saying he is what? He is Lord. Absolutely. Jesus makes these incredible claims. He has these great witnesses, right? And you would expect these religious leaders now to say, I'm in. Wow. Great claims. Great witnesses. I believe. And what do they do? They rejected him. In their stubborn pride, they willfully rejected him. Verses 40, 43, 44, 47. In four places we see in the scripture, like, whatever. They won't listen. If Jesus is a liar or a lunatic, then I'll tell you what. You go live as you want to please. You can live a good life. But in the end, you'll end up in judgment and destruction. 
But if Jesus is Lord, which I believe he is, which I know the scriptures claim he is, and I believe with all my heart, then we have to live in accordance to what he commands. And in the end, we find ourselves in the presence of God. These truths should transform us, church. Our goodness and our badness, like what the religious leaders thought would save them, they won't. Only Jesus Christ saves us. Let's not be like those religious leaders. And I'm sure, I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. I'm sure there are some of you in here, it's like, Rex, I I believe. I've confessed in my mouth. I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. My vision of Jesus isn't blurry. I've had the defrost on in my car. I can see through my windshield just fine. So then why do we struggle so much? I'm going to throw this thought out here. Maybe the problem isn't so much that we have a blurred vision of who Jesus is and where we need to be going in our Christian life. Maybe our problem is something else. When you're in a car driving, think of how many things can distract you in your car, your phone, your radio, passengers. Maybe there's an insect in your vehicle. You're driving, all of a sudden there's something in your vehicle. And it distracts you from looking ahead, right? Maybe that little thing on your windshield, that rear view mirror, we're so busy looking into that, where we just came from, that we're not paying attention to where we're going. Some of us have been scarred by our past. Something bad happened, an accident, a death, abuse, divorce, a bad decision, sinful habits. And all we do is we drive through life. We see Jesus clearly, but our eyes are on that rearview mirror, looking back at I remember when that happened. I remember when that happened. And I haven't gotten over that yet. And the problem is, if we're so focused on our past, we're going to crash. God's forgiven our past. God's taken care of our past. Every now and then, you might glance up and look in that rearview mirror, but you can't drive all the way down your road with your eyes on that mirror. Take a glance every now and then if you have to. Thank God that he's forgiven you. Thank God that he heals you. Thank God that he can take care of what's going on in your past. But get your eyes focused on the windshield, on where Christ is leading you. His claims are true. His witnesses are valid. He's worth living for. Pray that God removes the distractions around you. Pray that God helps you get your eyes off your past and on where you're going. And when we do that, when we do that, there's transformation that takes place. It's a new joy in your life. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now, Lord, just thanking you for these verses of truth. Even though, Lord, we maybe already knew these things about your son, Jesus Christ, sometimes it gets blurry. Our lives get a little foggy, and sometimes maybe it's clear. We know exactly who you are and who your son is, but things around us distract us, or our past grabs us and diverts our view take our eyes off of you and where we need to be going and that's usually when we all end up on the side of the road in trouble so God I pray for this church right now if there's somebody in here that needs you they've never confessed with their mouth they never believed in their heart that that your son Jesus Christ is Lord right now right where we're standing we can ask for forgiveness and ask you to come into our lives to forgive us of our sins and to be the Lord of our life we can do that right now And God, maybe there's somebody in this room that we've got that relationship with you. We just 
struggle with keeping our eyes on you and looking forward and keeping our eyes on the truth of who your son Jesus Christ is. We've been distracted by the things around us, thinking that it's more pleasurable. We've been distracted by our past, caught up in the pain. God, you can heal us of that pain. You can help us move forward. But God, maybe we just need to pray right now to help us get our eyes back on you. God, you can do these things. You can answer these prayers, I know. Because these are the things that you desire in us new life in us, transform lives, your spirit at work in us. So God, I pray these things for this church. I pray that right now where we're standing, as we sing, Lord, if we need to confess, let us confess. If we need to recommit, let us recommit. Let us get our eyes on you, Lord. For you are awesome and you are mighty. We love you, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.